You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Last week, Pastor Jonathan introduced a new series for us. We're going to be spending seven weeks in the beginning of the book of Revelation, walking through the seven letters to the seven churches um, that are in in modern-day Turkey. The Apostle Paul, who was on the island Patmos, received a vision from Jesus and he was told to write down all that he had heard and all that he had seen and he was exiled onto that island and then John records the letters to these seven churches and also the visions that he was given. Jesus has a message there for seven local churches. Last week Jonathan walked through the message to the church of Ephesus, the the first letter, and this week we're going to walk through the letter to the church of Smyrna. The message of Smyrna, as you're listening, is a, is a heavy letter. It's a heavy message, yet it is very hopeful. Um, so I want to pray first before we dive in here. Would you pray with me again? Father, we come this morning to you. We come week after week to hear from you because week after week we need you. Week after week we are dependent on you. Week after week we desire to worship you and to look to something greater than ourselves, greater than our circumstance, greater than our world, our our life itself, Lord. And we find that in you, we find that in Jesus. And so, would you this morning give us ears to hear what you have for us, Lord? And this is heavy but hopeful message. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, Lord. And uh, we want to hear from you, Jesus, this morning. So we ask all this in your name. Amen. So I simply want to work through this, these four verses here uh, in just two ways. First, I want to remind us of who is speaking here. And then second, walk through simply in three parts, what does he say to this church? So first, in verse 8, remember who is speaking. So Jesus here gives a description of himself in verse 8. There's a lengthier description in Revelation chapter 1. And here he gives a short description of himself to the church. He says, To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. So there's two short descriptions here of Jesus, and we're going to take them one at a time. So he says, The first and the last, and the one who died and came to life. The first one, I am the first and the last. This is not the first place that God has described himself this way. We see it in the first chapter in Revelation 1. We see it at the end of the letter in Revelation 22. And it also shows up in the Old Testament describing Yahweh in several places. And so I want to go to three places quickly in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah that uses this description. And I think it's going to fill it out a little bit more for us and see what Jesus wants to bring to mind this church as he describes himself this way. And so, three passages. The first one is a little trickier to follow, so just try and listen well. Isaiah 41, 1 through 4 says this, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach and let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirs up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely, by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? 
I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. So one description there. Isaiah 48, 12 and 13. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens when I called to them. They stand forth together. And the third one in Isaiah, Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. I have, not, have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know of not any. So here we see three descriptions of, of God filling out the description of himself saying, I am the first and the last. We see several things here. We see that God's not just a God of this moment, but he's a God of every moment. He's not just a God that established Israel, but he established the heavens and the earth. He's not just a God. He is the only God, and besides him, there is no other. We see King Jesus' absolute sovereignty I'm the first and the last. I declare the end from the beginning, he says. We see his absolute sovereignty. I laid the foundations of the earth and with my hands spread out the heavens. And we see his absolute uniqueness. I'm the first and the last. I am the I am. And there is no rock or God besides me. These descriptions here filled out are meant to give the people of Smyrna, the church there, and us comfort in the midst of trying circumstance, and they are in a tough circumstance. It's interesting that often in the Isaiah description here and in Revelation, the command to not fear is attached with God saying, I am the first and the last. Um, And part of that is not fear because it's God speaking here. There's fear that comes. But also he's saying, I'm I'm the first and the last. He's speaking a word of comfort. Don't, Don't fear the circumstance you are in because I am the first and the last. And so Jesus here says, do not fear because he has hemmed them in because he knows the past and he has declared the future. He is bigger than and beyond their current moment. He knows what has happened and he knows what will be. And so he says, take comfort. I'm the first and the last. Don't fear the moment. I am the first and the last. And so we see that first in the description that Jesus gives of himself here. The second one, he says, the one who died and came to life. This is shorthand here for the description he gives in Revelation 1.17, just a few verses before. There he says, I'm the living one. I have died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. As we will soon see, these believers in Smyrna are experiencing great suffering, and suffering with the possibility of death, suffering that will increase. And Jesus here says, I'm the one, though, who has died and came to life. Jesus, as their sympathizer and forerunner, says that he will live forevermore. He says he's in it with them. He's walked this path already, and he's conquered it. He came, and he suffered, and he was persecuted, and he was betrayed, and he died. And behold, 
he lives. And he lives forevermore. And he has conquered death. So both descriptions here, Jesus is, says, to, means to bring them comfort and hope in their circumstance and says, I'm, I'm in it with you. I understand it. I've understood it all the way through. I have died and I have raised. I'm in it with you, Church of Smyrna. So that is who is speaking here. I don't want us to, to skate over that and say it's just Jesus or it's just God. It's God speaking a word to this local church meant for them. And he says, remember these things. Remember who I am. I'm the first and the last. I've died and came back to life. And behold, I live forevermore. King Jesus says that. So that's who's speaking here. You must remember that all the way through. Um, because when he speaks a tough word, remember, it's, it's Jesus, it's God that's speaking that tough word for them to listen to. So second here, what does he say? He speaks and reveals what is and what will be. So he says, what, what's going on right now and what will come to pass here? Personally, I'm not much of a fantasy book reader. Um, I, was, I was more in line with a guy in college that would people say, hey, have you seen, you know, Lord of the Rings? And I'd say, is, is that the movie with the little guys that walk around for nine hours? Um, or if you get the extended edition, maybe 11 hours. And so um, that's kind of how I approach books like this. But later in life, I, I've learned to uh, experience fantasy books or fiction books. I've learned to uh, get, get rest from them, kind of step away from just reading to learn, but just in, enjoy the stir, story um, and things going on. So I've, I've grown up a little bit since then. Um, and I was reading one book. They all start a little bit the same. There's a group of kids that got transported to an alternative world, not Narnia, different, different book. Um, and so they learn in this world that there's an there's a evil king that they need to conquer. And so as they go about, they learn different things that they can do. They can uh, get shaping power, it's called. And so it's something like magic. So they can learn to control stuff around them. They can learn to um, change cer- certain objects, make things, uh, make weapons, change, change their appearance, make themselves stronger. Along the way, they're given gifts to help them, um, much like a lot of these stories. And so as they go on their journey, there's kind of, it's kind of building up. And they're, they're strengthening themselves, they're, they're maturing, uh, their appearance is all, all sorts of things to help them travel. And they're coming up to this prince that's, they know he's just very powerful, but he's very much unknown to them. And so they're kind of, they're pulling out all the stops. So they're, they're getting all the weapons, they're getting all the gear, they're getting all their crew. They're, they're trying to have this massive front that comes up to this prince. Um, so they walk up to him, um, and he, he greets them, um, but he has this powerful sword. So this knight, this prince, pulls out this powerful sword, and after he greets them, he, he unsheathes it and waves it in front of them. And when he does this, it dissolves every manipulation and every magical thing they had done. And what's left is just a ragtag group of kids. And so the sword in the story, the initial reality that appears is stripped back and the deeper reality is revealed. And it's just a group of ragtag kids um, with sticks, not weapons. Um, This is not that far off from what Jesus does here in Revelation 2. As Jonathan said last week, he says, Jesus peels back the part we usually see to show us the unfiltered spiritual realm. So that's what happens in this story, and that's what happens here with Jesus. By the sword of his mouth, he speaks what is, what's really going on in this situation in Smyrna, and what will be. 
And he reveals three things here that I want to look at. So what does he say to them? That he commends them, he clarifies the situation, and then he has a calling for this church. So first, he commends them. Verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know the slander against you, but you are rich. So this is a reverse Cinderella moment here. It's not the the hour strikes 12, I think it is, um, and then all of this is undone, and all the wealth and the glory and the beauty, all this is undone, just a a ragtag servant left. This is the reverse of that. There's appearance of a, there's tribulation, there's sorrow, there's poverty here. And when Jesus shows what is, he says, you're rich. There's spiritual richness here. It's the opposite of Cinderella. It's the opposite of Aladdin in those moments in the church of Smyrna here. And so he waves his sword, and what Jesus reveals of these saints is that they're covered in the blood of Christ. They're saints forgiven. They're saints in whom he'll give the crown of life. They're saints he's set apart in pure white linen. Saints with a wealth of soul and a richness of faith. I wonder if they would have believed it if it wasn't Jesus speaking. Um, It's such an amazing commendation he gives to them. He says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you are rich. Amazing commendation that Jesus gives here to the church of Smyrna. This also stands out compared to the other letters here. So we got seven letters last week. Jonathan talked about there's kind of a general flow that walks through these letters. And one of the things that is common and regular in these letters is a rebuke. Um, But Jesus, in this letter, he does not rebuke the church of Smyrna. And so here he says, you are rich. Here he's going to talk about more tribulation to come. But there's no rebuke here. There's a commendation of this people. And so... um, Amazing thoughts and encouragement that Jesus has towards this church. He, he doesn't rebuke them. And this, I think, might be a perspective change statement for them. They're tired. They're suffering. They're financially poor. They're lacking resources here. And Jesus speaks right into it. And he says, I know it all, and you are rich, um, and encourages them with that word. They, I think, in large part, embody what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think this would be a good description of that church. He says, We are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So Jesus here reveals their true riches. They have riches where they matter. They have spiritual riches. They are rich in faith. Um, So the first thing Jesus does in verse 9 here is he commends them and encourages them. Second, he clarifies their situation as if there was any doubt. Verse 9 says, Those who say they are Jews but are not slander you. They are a synagogue of Satan. They are following their father, the devil. They are not of God. If there was any doubt what was going on in this situation, Jesus says, Here's what's going on in this situation. You are being persecuted for your faith. Um, They are doing the works of the devil. They are following Satan. You are being persecuted by wicked people and Satan himself. Jesus confirms the spiritual attack that's going on. He says, maybe you wondered that. Maybe it was obvious in this context, but he says that's what it is. He's coming after my church. He's coming after you. The historical contents here 
context might have looked something like this. So Jews, often in the Roman government, had certain exceptions under worship. So they'd kind of tightened themselves with the Roman government and had had some privileges. So there'd be certain things that they wouldn't necessarily have to do. And they would allow them to worship uh, their God or make their sacrifices that would be different than the empirical gods or the Roman government. Well, as Christianity grew, likely the, view, the Jews would have seen it as a perversion of their religion and may have hated it and they would have distanced themselves from that. So if there were any protections that Jews had in that society, they would not want that to be reflected on, on Christianity. They would say, this is, this is different than us. This is a different beast. And they often could have persecuted Christians as we see in this text here. And so in that, Christians were slandered by the Jews and then were persecuted by the, the government, realizing that they weren't worshiping the, the idols of the day and the idols of the city. You see, persecution comes from religious groups and from the irreligious. It can come from a lot of different places. The point is to not figure out the puzzle, if and when and how it comes. I think the point is to be, be ready, to, to follow Jesus, to know that he is worth it in the moment. And so it's not, well, is this you know, angling through it to see if, oh, this, this, this sounds like that. Is this the exact scenario that's there? It's, it's helpful to know the context there and in many other places. Um, but whatever avenue it comes and whatever way it comes, we want to follow Jesus. The point's not to solve the puzzle. Um, it's to follow Jesus. So the second thing he said here is he, he clarifies their curtain situation and says, what's happening is a spiritual attack. Satan is attacking my church. He is attacking you. And the third thing, Jesus moves from saying, here's what is, to here's what will be. And the situation for some will worsen. That's why from the beginning it was super important to say, who's speaking? Because Jesus has a high call, a hard call for this church. And the question's like, well, who's asking? Uh, Well, King Jesus is asking. And so if he's asking, the sacrifice is never too much. Um, He's worth it. And so Jesus is asking, as he calls them here, to suffer may be worse. Verse 10 says here, Do not fear where you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's an allusion here in this passage to the story of Daniel. If you remember, Daniel and his friends were tested for 10 days um, when they committed not to defiling themselves with the king's food. Later, Daniel and his friends, they were maliciously accused, is the quote, by the Chaldeans. Daniel and his friends for not worshiping the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had made. They said to the king in Daniel 3.12, the accusers, they said, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods and worship your golden image that you have set up. Later, they are thrown in the fiery furnace. They are faithful unto death, and God delivers them. So whether the tribulation here, the church of Smyrna, is going to be literal 10 days or not, I'm not sure. But I think the writer here is drawing us back to Daniel and saying, persecution like this has come before in the past. God's saints have been faithful. God has been faithful. Be encouraged and strengthened by these stories of old, of people that have been faithful to death, and that God has rescued, and that God has given the crown of life. 
And so we see persecution here in the church of Smyrna. We see it all over in places in the Old Testament, including Daniel here. And we also see it today. This week, there's a, just a thread, uh, I think random to the, the passage, uh, video posted, an article posted in our, our pastor's text thread. It was just a, a pastor in China who was arrested in December 19th and sentenced to nine years in prison. Um, I was trying to find a few other articles, and one said 100 people from the church were also initially arrested. Um, they have been, may have been released since then, but uh, he has not. And, and the quote of what he had done was inciting subversion of the state power. Doesn't sound that all, all that different from Daniel. Might not sound all that different from the church of Smyrna here. And so this isn't just a Old Testament. This isn't just right after Christ came. This is our day and age that those are being persecuted for, for speaking of Jesus and preaching Jesus. And it's not just here but over there. Um, it's this time and here as well. And we take this seriously as pastors. Today, Lord willing, in our member meeting, we'll add two new pastors um, to our team. And today they'll take several vows. And here is one of the vows that they will take. The question, do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? And the pastor will say, I do with God's help. Church, I want you to know that our pastors have never been more committed or as committed as ever to preaching Jesus and to following his word. That is what we want to do and that is what we will do. We are committed to that. Um, And that's why we have vows that are heavy but true like that. We are committed to preaching Jesus and speaking his word. And this persecution has been in our church. So it's not just overseas, it's not just in theory what may come, but members of our church have been persecuted. Jobs have been lost because they did not bow to the idols of our city. Jobs of people in our, in our congregation, here right now, listening right now. And we see you, and God has a word for you. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. On my, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus has a specific word for you if that is and has been your experience. Jesus may call our church to be like the church of Smyrna. I don't know, but in some ways, he already has. We don't run towards persecution, but we don't run away from it either. We pray that we may live peaceful, quiet lives. But may we be spiritual ready, spiritually ready if we can't. Whether he calls us to this level of suffering or not, I don't know. But there are three things in closing here I want us to remember. I want us to know and be resolved in from 2020 here on forward. The first one is know whatever temporal blessing you may have It is not your hope. The Lord gives and takes away, but he will never lead us. And so there's ways that we can rehearse this. Um, So if you're in a situation that is not that, it isn't poor, impoverished, and in tribulation, 
you feel like you're in a point where the, the Lord is blessing you and you're predominantly thankful of all the Lord has, you remember this in that moment. Say, Lord, whatever you have given, my hope's not in that. And if you take it away, my hope will remain. Um, you can rehearse that daily. It's, attach it to your thankfulness. Your thankfulness is because you didn't earn it, God gave it. We're thankful for things that are given, not earned. And with that thankfulness, say, and you could take it away. You could change it. And if you did, you would still be good. And I would still be okay. And so if the circumstance here doesn't, doesn't resonate with you in this moment, there's ways that we can rehearse and strengthen and prepare our faith to say, if it came, I'd be ready. By God's grace, I'd be ready. You've given these things and you may take them away. And if you do, you are still good. So know that those temporal blessings are not the rock you stand on. They are sand if you stand on them. Stand on the rock and what do you have that you can be thankful for? Two, know that trials produce faith, fruit through faithfulness. Our main concern should be a vertical one. What should capture our attention is faithfulness to God who has saved us and called us. This is important because we're going to have different callings. There's seven churches here. Ephesus, from me measuring on the small map, is roughly 30 miles away, 30 miles south of Smyrna. Yet this isn't the word that Jesus gives them. No doubt they have tribulation and they may have persecution and they may have trial, but this isn't the word for them. This is the word for the church of Smyrna, 30 miles north. So this is us versus Lakeville, Maple Grove, Hudson, different words for different churches, different words for different areas, even 20, 30, 40 miles away. Different callings for people even within that church. He says here, some of you will be thrown into prison. Be faithful unto death. Some of you. That means not all in that church. And if the eyes go horizontal, we will struggle. But our main concern is a vertical one. Jesus, whatever you have called our church to, whatever you called me individually to, may I be faithful to that. Because you are worth it. You are worth it. And so our main concern is a vertical one. And through this, through the trial, Jesus produces fruit through our faithfulness. In my life personally, some, if not most, of the spiritual richness of any I may have has been forged through the furnace of, of fire and through trial. The experience in my life that are the most painful ones become the most fruitful ones. God is with us in that moment. Um, he is there and he uses it. And so if that's the moment you're in, He's here with you. If that's moments of past, don't forget those times. Have those be clear in your head. Those painful experiences, those trials, those persecutions that you walked through. And remember that he showed up. Keep it clear in your mind. Do not let it fade. Do not doubt it. Do not let it be twisted by mere circumstance. You know that Jesus showed up. And he was real and he was there for you. And he will be again. Like he was for Daniel. Like he was for the church here. He will be for you, like the way he was for you in the past. Remember that. Keep it clear and solid in your mind. He's bearing fruit through these circumstances, and he has in the past, I'm sure. We're a younger church, so maybe we've experienced less tough things in our life, um, maybe less persecution. But even there, there's been, there's been some. There's been trial. There's been suffering, and there's more to come. And know that he will show up as he has showed up in the past. And so know that these trials produce fruit 
through faithfulness. There's much hope there. And remember, in this letter, there's been, there's been no rebuke. So don't muddy those waters. Don't say, is this, is this punishment for Smyrna? Is this punishment for me? The Lord knows all that he is doing. But here he's saying, a, a tough circumstance to come. It's going to get worse. Be faithful unto death. You may be cast in prison, yet he gave no rebuke to this people. And so don't, don't muddy those. There's much encouragement. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He says, be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. He has confidence that they will do it. And he will make it come to pass. The third thing to remember here, know that Jesus sees it. He sees you. The beginning, he said, I know your suffering and your poverty. He's near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in the spirit. This is not a, a tone death rah-rah here. Let's just go conquer. We have no pain. We've got no anguish. This is going to feel at times like anguish. It's going to feel like you're crying those ugly tears. It may fill you with fear and the uncertainty and the lack of comfort. It may wrench your gut in sorrow, especially if the persecution or the suffering comes from people you know, people close to you, people that may betray you, maybe coworkers that you trusted, family or friends, close acquaintances, close friends like Jesus was betrayed. And so this sorrow, this anguish is, is gut-wrenching and painful. I'm not unaware of that, but Jesus is worth it and every piece of it. And he will come through. And so trust Jesus. He will always come through for us. He has saved us from the second death. So the one who conquers, you will not be harmed by the second death. Remember Jesus said, I have died and behold, I live forevermore. The ultimate threat persecution can bring is death. But Jesus says, I've defeated death. He says, I'm the first and the last. He holds the keys to Hades and death. And he has conquered death forever. He says, at the second judgment, I will throw death in to Hades. Our last breath of this life is not the victory of death over our lives, but it will be the defeat of death in our lives. If we were to physically die before Jesus came, death would be over for us. We would live forevermore, and we would live forevermore with him. Our lives are hid in Christ, and when he appears, we also will appear. And so heavy passage here, but Jesus gives us much hope. He's in it with us. He has confidence that Smyrna will be faithful and he will give them the crown of life. And he gives us much hope too. Whether our circumstance is similar now, was in the past, or will be in the future. He has conquered death and lives forevermore. Let's take hope in that. I'll pray to close this. Jesus, we help us know the magnitude of who you are. Um, you are no other. There is no other God but you. Your power and your sovereignty is unmatched, Lord. Um, there is no one like you. And so when you speak a word like this, we know it to be true and good and sure. And we trust you in it. We listen to you because you're the one asking um, it's a, a word that 
comes from God himself specifically to this church and you have a word for us this morning. So Father, would we know that? Would you comfort us? Would you encourage us? Lord, we may be experiencing heavy suffering right now. But Father, we don't want to suffer for foolish works. We want to suffer for good works as we seek to bring you glory. So comfort those that are in the midst of trial. Be near to them. Father, let us be faithful unto death, for you will give us the crown of life. And you have rescued us from the second death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus also said, Fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As we transition to the table, the bread and the cup are a reminder that the death was defeated by Jesus when he came. And they also draw us forward to the wedding feast of the kingdom for when he comes. And Jesus will be there and we will eat with him. His body is the true bread and his blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.